Hello, it's Mrs. Ruggins here, and you are listening to my BTEC Sport podcast, um, focusing on Unit 1 Anatomy and Physiology. This is episode number three, um, and we are going to be focusing on learning aim C, the effects of exercise and sports performance on the respiratory system. So like ever, all you need to do is plug your earphones in and listen along at your own convenience. The idea behind this podcast is for you um, to use this as a tool of revision um, in preparation for the exam that you will take in this unit for the BTEC Sport course. So without further ado, let's get started um, and we are going to look at the structure and functions of the respiratory system in this next part of the episode. Okay, so let's have a look at the respiratory system in a little more detail. We should all know by now that the respiratory system provides oxygen to all living tissue in your body, as well as removing waste products such as carbon dioxide, heat and water vapour. Oxygen is required for every cell in your body to function. Central to the respiratory system are your lungs, which enable oxygen to enter the body and carbon dioxide waste to be removed through the mechanism of breathing. Your body's ability to inhale and transport oxygen whilst removing waste products is critical to sports performance. The better your body is at this process, the better you will be able to train or perform in your sport. So, as we look at the structure and function of the respiratory system, what you need to be um, aware of is that air is drawn into your body via the nose and sometimes via the mouth and passes through a series of airways to reach the lungs. This series of airways is referred to as the respiratory tract and can be divided into two main parts. The upper respiratory tract, which includes the nose, nasal cavity, mouth, pharynx and larynx, and then the lower respiratory tract, which consists of the trachea, bronchi and the lungs. So let's look at both the upper and lower respiratory tracts in a little bit more detail. Let's start with the nasal cavity. So when you breathe in, air enters the navel, navel, nasal cavity sorry, by passing through the nostrils. Hairs within, within the cavity filter out dust, pollen and other foreign particles before the air passes into the two passages of the internal nasal cavity. Here, the air is warmed and moistened before it passes into the nasopharynx. A sticky mucus layer traps smaller foreign particles, which tiny hairs called cilia transport to the pharynx to be swallowed. So that was your nasal cavity. Next is your pharynx. So we're working from um, when air enters your body via the nose and then we are working our way in order down through the respiratory system structure. So the pharynx, commonly called the throat, the pharynx is a small tube that measures approximately 10 to 13 centimetres from the base of the skull to the level of the sixth cervical vertebra. The muscular pharynx wall is composed of skeletal muscle throughout its length. The funnel-shaped pharynx connects the nasal cavity and mouth to the larynx and the esophagus. So the larynx, that um, allows 
air to travel through, whereas the esophagus allows food to travel through. Because it is a passageway for food, as well as air, there are special adaptations that are required to prevent choking when food or liquid is swallowed. The next structure we get to is the larynx. So the larynx or the voice box has rigid walls of muscles and cartilage, contains the vocal cords and connects the pharynx to the trachea. It extends for about five centimeters from the level of the third to sixth vertebra. Making our way then through the larynx to the trachea, the trachea or the windpipe denotes the start of the lower respiratory tract. It is about 12 centimetres long and 2 centimetres in diameter. It contains rings of cartilage to prevent it from collapsing and it is flexible. It travels down the neck in front of the oesophagus and branches into the right and left bronchi. We also have the epiglottis. In the epiglottis is the small flap of cartilage at the back of the tongue which closes the top of the trachea when you swallow to ensure food and drink pass into your stomach and not into your lungs. We then have the lungs. So your lungs are the main organ that allows oxygen to be drawn into the body. The paired right and left lungs occupy most of the thoracic cavity and extend down to the diaphragm. They hang suspended in the right and left pleural cavities, straddling the heart. The left lung is smaller than the right. We then have the bronchi. So the bronchi branch off the trachea and carry air to the lungs. By the time inhaled air reaches the bronchi, it is warm, clear of most impurities and saturated with water vapour. Once inside the lungs, each bronchus subdivides into lobar bronchi, three on the right and two on the left. The lobar bronchi branch into segmental bronchi, which divide again into smaller and smaller bronchi. Overall, there are approximately 23 orders of branching bronchial airways in the lungs. Because of this branching pattern, the bronchial network within the lungs is often called the bronchial tree. We then move on to the bronchioles. So the bronchioles are the small airways that extend from the bronchi and connect the bronchi to small clusters of thin walled air sacs known as the alveoli. Bronchioles are about one millimeter in diameter and are the first airway branches of the respiratory system that do not contain cartilage. And then we have the alveoli. At the end of each bronchial is a mass of air sacs called alveoli. In each lung, there are approximately 300 million gas-filled alveoli. These are responsible for the transfer of oxygen into the blood and the removal of waste such as carbon dioxide out of the blood. This process of transfer is known as gaseous exchange. Combined, the alveoli have a huge surface area for maximal gaseous exchange to take place, roughly the size of a tennis court. Surrounding each alveolus is a dense network of capillaries to facilitate the process of gaseous exchange. And we will look at gaseous exchange in a little more detail um, a little later on in this episode. 
We then have two other structures that you need to know of the respiratory system. Um, and that is the diaphragm. So the diaphragm is a flat muscle that is located beneath the lungs within the thoracic cavity and separates the chest from the abdomen. The diaphragm is one of several components involved in breathing, which is the mechanism of drawing air, including oxygen, into the body, also known as inhalation, and also removing gases, including carbon dioxide, from the body. This can be known as exhalation. Contraction of the diaphragm increases the volume of the chest cavity, drawing air into the lungs, while relaxation of the diaphragm decreases the volume of the chest cavity, pushing air out. You then also need to know about the thoracic cavity. So this is the chamber of the chest that is protected by the thoracic wall or the rib cage. It is separated from the abdominal cavity by the diaphragm. And here you have the internal and external intercostal muscles. The internal, the in, intercostal muscles, sorry, lie between the ribs to help with inhalation and exhalation, and they extend and contract. The internal intercostal muscles lie inside the rib cage. They draw the ribs downwards and inwards. So this is the internal intercostal muscles, downwards and inwards, decreasing the volume of the chest cavity and forcing air out of the lungs when breathing out. The external intercostal muscles lie outside the rib cage and they pull the ribs upwards and outwards. So that's the external intercostal muscles upwards and outwards. And this increases the volume of the chest cavity and drawing air into the lungs when breathing in. Now we're going to look at something called the mechanisms of breathing. So breathing or pulmonary ventilation is the process by which air is transported into and out of the lungs and it can be considered to have two phases. It requires the thorax to increase in size to allow air to be taken in, followed by a decrease to allow air to be forced out. You have two mechanisms of breathing that you need to be aware of. Number one, is inspiration. Inspiration is the process of breathing air into the lungs. The intercostal muscles between the ribs contract to lift the ribs upwards and outwards while the diaphragm is forced downwards. This expansion of the thorax in all directions causes a drop in pressure within the lungs to below atmospheric pressure, the pressure of the air outside the body, which encourages air to be drawn into the lungs. The second mechanism of breathing you need to know is expiration. And that's the complete opposite of inspiration. So this occurs when the intercostal muscles relax. The diaphragm relaxes, moving upwards, and the ribs move downwards and inwards. Pressure within the lungs is increased and air is expelled or pushed out of the body. During sport or exercise, greater amounts of oxygen are required, so the intercostal muscles and diaphragms must work harder. This results in an increase in your breathing rate and an increase in the force of your breath. Okay. 
Next, we move on to something called the control of breathing. So how does breathing actually occur? What happens in our body to allow the process of inspiration and expiration to actually happen? There's two different types of control of breathing that takes place in your body. Now, number one is called neural control. So breathing is a complex process that is largely under involuntary control by the respiratory centers of your brain. Inspiration is an active process as the diaphragm muscle is actively contracting, which causes air to enter the lungs. Expiration is a passive process as the diaphragm muscle relaxes to allow to air to exit the lungs. This process is controlled by neurons and their cells that conduct nerve impulses. And this happens in the brain stem. So neurons in two areas of the medulla oblongata are critical in respiration. Now the medulla oblongata is located in the middle of your brain and this is responsible for the involuntary functions such as breathing but also um, your heartbeat and sneezing. These are the dorsal respiratory group, the DRG, and the ventral respiratory group, the VRG. The VRG is thought to be responsible for the rhythm generation that allows rhythmic and continuous breathing. Now, the second type of mechanism that we need to know, not mechanism, sorry, that was um, inspiration and expiration. We are now talking about the control of breathing. Sorry, my apologies. The second type of control of breathing you need to know is the chemical control. So other factors that control breathing are the continually changing levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the blood. So sensors responding to such chemical fluctuations are called chemoreceptors. These are found in the medulla and in the aortic arch and carotid arteries. These chemoreceptors detect changes in blood carbon dioxide levels as well as changes in blood acidity and send signals to the medulla that will make changes to the breathing rate. So there are your um, controls of breathing. You have the neural control and then you have the chemical control. And um, I tend to try and just remember keywords from this part. So you've got neural control. So you're looking at um, neurons here. You're looking at the medulla oblongata and the DRG and the VRG. The chemical control is all to do with the blood chemoreceptors the aortic arch, the carotid arteries, and detecting changes in blood carbon dioxide levels, as well as blood acidity. Okay, so this is the big one. This is the gaseous exchange. It is so common for this to come up in the exam um, and it's because it is just so vital to us as sports men and sports women to being able to perform effectively in our sporting activities. So gaseous exchange is the process by which one type of gas is exchanged for another in the lungs and gaseous exchange occurs by diffusion between air in the alveoli and blood in the capillaries surrounding their walls. 
So diffusion is the process by which a substance such as oxygen passes through a cell membrane, either to get into the cell or to get out of the cell. And substances move by diffusion from an area where they are more concentrated to an area where they are less concentrated. So gases exchange, it delivers oxygen from the lungs to the bloodstream and removes carbon dioxide from the bloodstream to the lungs. Why do we want to get oxygen into the bloodstream? Well, we want it to be transported via the bloodstream to our working muscles to give our muscles the energy to participate and perform to a high standard in sporting activities. The alveolar and capillary walls form a respiratory membrane that has gas on one side and blood flowing past on the other. Gaseous exchange occurs readily by simple diffusion across the respiratory membrane. Blood entering the capillaries from the pulmonary arteries has a lower oxygen concentration and a higher carbon dioxide concentration than the air in the alveoli. Oxygen diffuses into the blood via the surface of the alveoli, through the thin walls of the capillaries, through the red blood cell membrane and finally latches onto haemoglobin. Carbon dioxide diffuses in the opposite direction from the blood plasma into the alveoli. Now, if you do have your books in front of you, um, I would turn to page 32 where it gives a really good diagram of what gaseous exchange looks like, figure 1.13. But if you haven't, then please do refer to that a bit later on as, again, a little bit like the muscular system, a visual can really help um, when remembering and retaining the information about gaseous exchange. Okay, now we're going to be talking about the different lung volumes that you find in the respiratory system. So what happens to your breathing when you are exercising or training? Your lungs are designed to take in more air during exercise so that more oxygen can reach the alveoli and more carbon dioxide can be removed. Your breathing will become deeper and more frequent to cope with the demands that exercise puts on your body. Your respiratory rate is the amount of air you breathe in one minute. For a typical 18 year old, this represents about 12 breaths per minute at rest, during which time about six liters of air passes through the lungs. It can increase significantly during exercise by as much as 30 to 40 breaths per minute. So that's your first lung volume you need to be aware of is your respiratory rate. The second lung volume we want to talk about is tidal volume. So tidal volume is the term used to describe the volume of air breathed in and out with each breath. Under normal conditions, this represents about 500 centimetre cubed of air breathed both inhaled and exhaled. Of this, approximately two thirds reaches the alveoli in the lungs where gaseous exchange takes place. The remaining 150 centimetre squared Um, cube sorry fills the pharynx larynx trachea bronchi and bronchioles and is known as dead or stationary air during exercise tidal volume increases to allow more air to pass through the lungs our next 
um, lung volume is uh, minute volume. So the volume of air passing through the lungs each minute is known as minute volume. And this is determined by the breathing rate and the amount of air taken in with each breath. The next lung volume you need to know is residual volume. So the lungs are never fully emptied of air, otherwise they would collapse. The air that remains in the lungs after maximal expiration, when you breathe out as hard as you can, is referred to as residual volume. We've then got vital capacity, which is the amount of air that can be forced out of the lungs after maximal inspiration. Our next lung volume is the inspiratory reserve volume. So by breathing in deeply, it is possible to take in more air than usual so that more oxygen can reach the alveoli. This is especially important during exercise. You can breathe in up to an additional 3000 centimeter cubed of fresh air in addition to the normal tidal volume. And this is what is known as the inspiratory reserve volume. You've then got the opposite, the expiratory reserve volume, which is the amount of additional air that can be breathed out after normal expiration. And finally, you have your total lung volume, and this is your total lung capacity after you have inhaled as deeply and as much as you can after maximal inspiration. It is normally around 6,000 centimetre cubed for an average sized male. And there are your lung volumes. I'm just going to list them again for you. So you have your respiratory rate, your tidal volume. I would say your tidal volume is the most common lung volume to come up in the exam. So tidal volume is probably at the top of your priority list for knowing exactly what that is all about. So let's start again. Sorry, you've got your respiratory rate, your tidal volume, your minute volume. So you've then got your residual volume, your vital capacity, inspiratory reserve volume, expiratory reserve volume and the total lung volume. At this point, you should be able to remember the different lung, lung volumes. You should be able to write a list of the different lung volumes and briefly describe or define each one. Um, and what I also want you to do is start thinking about how your breathing changes during exercise. Could you explain what is happening to each specific lung volume? And if, you answer, if your answer to that is no, then I would advise listening over this segment of the episode um, once or twice more to make sure you've got those definitions and explanations clear in your head so that you are able to recall that information. Okay, so here we get to the part of the learning aims, the responses, the adaptations and the additional factors. So all the other little bits and bobs and pieces that you need to know about the different body systems. Okay, so here we are then. This one is going to be about the responses of the respiratory system to a single sport or exercise session. And there's two that you need to remember here. 
you've got increased breathing rate and increased tidal volume. So your body is surprisingly insensitive to falling levels of oxygen, yet it is very sensitive to increased levels of carbon dioxide. The levels of oxygen in arterial blood vary little, even during exercise, but carbon dioxide levels vary in direct proportion to the level of physical activity. The more intense the exercise, the greater the carbon dioxide concentration in the blood. To combat this, your breathing rate increases to ensure that the carbon dioxide can be removed through the process of expiration. So number one, increased breathing rate. Exercise results in an increase in the rate and depth of breathing. During exercise, your muscles demand more oxygen and the corresponding increase in carbon dioxide production stimulates faster and deeper breathing. The capillary network surrounding the alveoli expands, increasing blood flow to the lungs and pulmonary diffusion. A minor rise in breathing rate prior to exercise is known as an anticipatory rise. When exercise begins, there is an immediate and significant increase in breathing rate, believed to be the result of receptors working in both the muscles and the joints. After several minutes of aerobic exercise, breathing continues to rise, though at a slower rate, and it levels off if the exercise intensity remains constant. If the exercise is maximal, the breathing rate will continue to rise until exhaustion. After exercise, the breathing rate returns to normal, rapidly to begin with, and then slowly. And then you've got increased tidal volume. So during exercise, tidal volume increases to allow more air to pass through the lungs. Tidal volume is elevated by both aerobic and anaerobic exercise. So that's with and without oxygen. During exercise, oxygen is depleted from your body, triggering a deeper tidal volume to compensate. During strenuous exercise, oxygen diffusion may increase by as much as three times above the resting level. Likewise, minute ventilation depends on breathing rate and total volume. During exercise, adults can generally achieve minute ventilation approximately 15 times greater than the resting volumes. So your two responses of the respiratory system to a single sport or exercise session are increased breathing rate and increased tidal volume. Adaptations of the respiratory system to exercise. So like the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system undergoes specific adaptations in response to an organized and regular training program. These adaptations help to maximize the efficiency of the respiratory system so that oxygen can be delivered to the working muscles to meet the demands of the exercise, exercise while waste products can be removed quickly. I would say with all of your exam questions about the respiratory system, it pretty much comes down to the fact that we want oxygen to be delivered to our working muscle so that we can meet the demands of the exercise, so that we can perform more effectively and for longer durations, and also so that we can remove those waste products quickly. So we have three adaptations we need to remember. Number one is an increased vital capacity. Your vital capacity increases in response to long-term physical training to provide an increased and more efficient supply of oxygen to work in muscles. 
Number two is an increased strength of respiratory muscles. So the diaphragm and intercostal muscles increase in strength, allowing for greater expansion of the chest cavity. This will mean that it is easier to take deeper breaths as the stronger and more pliable muscles will allow the chest cavity to expand further. So remember, we're looking at how the respiratory system adapts when we exercise over long periods of time. So here we've got an increased vital capacity and then the increased strength of our respiratory muscles. Our third and final one we need to remember as an increase in oxygen and carbon dioxide diffusion rate. Your respiratory system adapts to regular training, allowing oxygen and carbon dioxide to diffuse more rapidly. An increase in diffusion rates in tissues means that you can train for longer and harder, more intensely, as your muscles will be supplied with more oxygen and the increased carbon dioxide will be removed more quickly. So at this point, I want you to have a little think about why the respiratory system is so important to sports performance. Are you able to describe how the respiratory system adapts to long-term exercise? And would you be able to explain why each adaptation can improve sport and exercise performance? I'll leave you with those three thoughts. segment of episode three looking at the respiratory system is all the other additional factors i mean there's only two here that you need to remember but it's the additional factors which will affect the respiratory system so although regular training will improve the efficiency of your respiratory system there are a couple of additional considerations then that can also affect the system and number one is asthma Asthma is a common condition where the airways of the respiratory system can become restricted, making it harder for air to enter the body, resulting in coughing, wheezing or shortness of breath. During normal breathing, the bands of muscle that surround the airways are relaxed and air moves freely. However, asthma makes the bands of muscle surrounding the airways contract and tighten so that air cannot move freely in or out of the body. Asthma can have a negative effect on sports performance as people with the condition will not be able to get enough oxygen into their lungs to supply their muscles, especially with the increased amounts required during exercise. However, regular exercise will strengthen your respiratory system and help prevent asthma. Regular aerobic training can help to improve breathing and muscular strength and endurance training will also improve oxygen uptake. The second additional factor you need to be aware of is the effects of altitude partial pressure on the respiratory system. So many elite athletes like to train at high altitude as the air pressure is lower and the oxygen particles are farther apart. So you'll see um, a fair amount of elite athletes going up to the, the Alps into ski, ski resorts um, to train at these high altitudes so that um, basically their body can produce more 
red blood cells as this carries the oxygen so the more red blood cells you have in the body the more oxygen you are able to carry and we need oxygen to be able to be transported to our working muscles so that we so the muscles have the energy to perform efficiently and for longer durations okay so when the athletes go to train at high altitude they go because the air pressure is lower and the oxygen particles are farther apart this means that the density of oxygen in the air is lower and it is harder to breathe this oxygen into your body due to lower partial pressure over time the athlete's respiratory system will adapt to this lower pressure and become more efficient in the short term the effects of altitude on the body are that your lungs have to work harder symptoms can include shortness of breath dizziness headaches and difficulties in concentrating the decreased availability of oxygen at higher altitudes can quickly lead to hypoxia which occurs when the body has insufficient access to oxygen to cope with the decrease in available oxygen you must breathe faster and deeper like other systems of the body the respiratory system will adapt over a long period of time so that it can cope with the decrease in available oxygen at higher altitudes your lungs will acclimatize by becoming larger which enables them to take in more oxygen the body will also produce more red blood cells and capillaries which enables the lungs to oxygenate the blood more efficiently Athletes who train at altitude feel the benefits of a more efficient respiratory system when they return to compete at lower altitudes. Athletes who were born at high altitudes benefit even more, having grown up and developed in that very environment. So that's your two additional factors that you need to be aware of that might prop up in the exam. You've got asthma and the effects of altitude and partial pressure on the respiratory system. So these are two other additional factors which might affect the respiratory system. And there we have it. Um, you have come to the end of my uh, BTEC Sport Podcast, Episode 3, focusing on the effects of exercise and sports performance on the respiratory system. Now, in this concluding part of um, the episode, what I would like to talk about um, is a little bit more about how to go about answering those questions in the exam. What I'm planning to do after I've covered all five systems on these episodes for this podcast, I would like to do um, another sort of finishing episode if you like which focuses on exam technique um, and examples of uh, questions that do come up in the exam so hopefully this little part will get you thinking about how you go about answering the questions in the exam so i'm going to give you an example or three examples of questions from the respiratory system that might come up so freddie is a football player number one can you explain the short-term effects of taking part in football on Freddie's tidal volume, and this is worth three marks. Number two, can you explain the role of carbon dioxide in the chemical control of breathing during exercise? Also worth three marks. And question number three, explain how increasing the strength of the respiratory muscles aids performance in long distance running. This would be four marks. 
So, when you come across questions like these in the exam, you need to think about three different processes. Plan, do, and review. So, the planning part. You need to plan longer answers by noting the keywords and likely examples. You also need to look at the marks available and allow enough time to write a full answer. Do. This is the second part. You need to write structured answers, especially for questions that offer more marks. And you also need to give relevant examples linked to the key theories. You should also be including sporting examples and or linking back to the question that's being asked of you. And then review. Have you reread your answers? Have you included a response to the key terms? Have you fully answered the question, making the relevant number of points linked to the marks available? Now that end note, I think is probably the most important because I have marked many of mock papers for the BTEC Sport Unit 1 exam. Um, and students lose so many marks because they're not giving enough information in their answer for the possible marks that are available. So if there's four marks available, you should be making four relevant points. If there's three marks available, three relevant points, and so on and so forth. So please do make sure when you're answering your questions in the exam um, that you're planning them first and foremost. You're then writing them but in a structured, full sentences sort of way. And then you go back and review them. You go back and reread re your answers, questioning yourself. Have you actually answered the question? Have you given enough marks, um, enough points, sorry, for the marks available? And I'll leave you with those thoughts. So thank you for listening to um, episode three, all about the respiratory system. I hope you found it useful. Um, please do look back at your BTEC Sport books. Um, and obviously you have this now, this recording, this podcast. So re-listen to it at any point. Go back over segments that maybe you don't feel as confident with. Um, and make sure you're not moving on to the next part of the episode until you're fully happy with um, the previous parts. Um, so I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, please do come back for my episode number four and we will be looking at the cardiovascular system. But for now, take care and goodbye.